Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. another episode of the glittering bell jar we are happy to have you here on the glittering bell jar where we are taking the harry potter series and turning it on its head this season season two we are reading the half-blood prince and like always we are reading it backwards i have my incredible co-host with me valerie how are you i'm good i'm good as you can see i'm wearing my forbidden forest ranger shirt today i'm very much feeling the harry potter vibes i'm also wearing slytherin socks so i am here for this episode You are in it. I love it. Yeah. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. It was actually kind of cool outside. So I got to get a run in and some like did some jump roping outside. It was nice. Thanks. Oh, nice. Jump roping is like a thing that people do again for exercise. I feel like it had a moment in the 90s and it's like come back around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like jump rope. We've been doing it for a while though, off and on. And it always like gets me into shape like so quickly. You know how everyone has their thing that like works Mm -hmm. for your own body? That is one of them. That and push-ups. Good for you. <laughs> yes. Cool. Well, it sounds like we don't have any random side tangents to spend five <laughs> minutes of our 15 to 20 minute episode on this week uh, or today. So let's just dive right in, right? We are halfway through Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. As a reminder, we're reading backwards, as Bree said. So if you are listening for the very first time, welcome. And you probably want to go back and start at episode one of this season. So they are shorty episodes, as I just said. They're about 15 to 20 minutes. Some of them are a little bit shorter. Some run a little bit longer, depending on the day. And they go quick. And you have, what, 15 of them <laughs> to go back and enjoy. And then you'll be caught up. So go give those a listen. In the meantime, we will keep moving forward slash backward. Bree is going to give us our synopsis of chapter 15, The Unbreakable Vow. During this chapter, Harry is playing the most delicate game of balancing his friendship with Hermione and Ron while they are not speaking to each other. Ron spends most of his time snogging Lavender in the common room, and Hermione has her head and her books in the library. Professor Slughorn has one of his famous parties, and both Hermione and Harry are invited. During the party, Draco is caught roaming the upstairs corridors by Filch. Snape takes him aside while Harry eavesdrops as he learns that Snape does not know exactly what Draco is planning, but that Snape took an unbreakable vow, promising to protect him, even if Draco does not want his help with the task he was given by the Dark Lord. Very nice. And the final sentence, which is where we always start our backward reading of each chapter. Hardly daring to breathe, Harry remained crouched down as Snape emerged slowly from the classroom. His expression unfathomable, he returned to the party. Harry remained on the floor, hidden beneath the cloak, his mind racing. That would be interesting to come upon, right? Like, imagine being Harry, you're, you know, already kind of on edge because you're eavesdropping with a invisibility cloak over you, and then the things you've been suspecting are possibly true, and, you know... Snape, your least favorite teacher or most hated teacher, at least knows some of it. Mm-hmm. Knows some of it, but not all of it. Yeah. And you now officially know that Malfoy is up to something. Like, you know it. There's no deny. You've now heard he's doing something, but you don't know what it is. And Snape doesn't know what it is either. Right, right. 
which is almost scarier, but. Yeah, I think so. I think it would have given Harry more comfort in a weird way to know that Snape and Malfoy were plotting some mysterious thing than the idea that Malfoy's doing something and Snape is trying to help, but not able to, like, that seems like there's more wild cards in the deck when that's the case. Well, and he can't blame Snape because he wants to. He wants evidence, obviously, against Snape all the time. Mm -hmm. So if he could nail them both, (laughs) all the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have a ton from the party. I'll, we'll come back to the party, but I just want to say because you had it in your synopsis that I feel like this is the chapter where Harry does the most homework ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the chapter where Ron will be complaining about Hermione, and so Harry just keeps doing his homework. And then it, Hermione is complaining about Ron. Harry keeps doing his homework. It's like the one time like Harry's the most studious one in the group because he's like, <laughs> I'm just not gonna get in the middle of this. I'm not. I'm just gonna read Quintessence a quest and write about everlasting elixirs, and it's like. More more productive schoolwork time for Harry. That's so true. I mean, you can imagine literally, he's literally stuck in the middle, but also trying to like maintain both those friendships, which is never fun and is always impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think back on the times that there have been like breakups in this trio, right? So there's Goblet of Fire. No, there's um, in Prisoner of Azkaban when Ron thinks that Crookshanks ate Scabber. So then Ron and Hermione have had a fight there. And then there's Goblet of Fire where Harry and Ron stop talking. And Hermione, in the books, Hermione's more neutral, whereas in the film, she's not neutral at all. So we'll go with the book one because I think that's part of why like Harry learns from Hermione that a good friend is tries to be at least neutral. Like I'm not in it. I'm not passing messages between the two of you. I'm not talking about it, but we can all stay, I'll stay friends with both of you. And that's all, that's how it's gotta be. (laughs) I like that. I like that you said that he learned from Hermione because yeah, I mean, he never had a friend. So he would have to learn from his friends how to be one, right? Like some things maybe came naturally, but Mm -hmm. uh, I like to think, yeah, that he got some, some good stuff from his current friends. So I like that. Mm -hmm. Well, and he didn't really stay neutral when Ron and Hermione had their fight in Prisoner of Azkaban. He was like like Ron's mm. friend. And Hagrid, too, was like you need to be more fair. Like, you need to be fair that, like, this is how cats behave. Sorry, we're on a totally separate story entirely. Like, you know, cats eat rats. That's not Hermione's fault. That's how, like, that's the nature of the beast, literally. Uh, and I think, so Harry learns from Hagrid, and then he also has Hermione demonstrating that neutrality, and now he manages to keep it. Aw, Hagrid taught him to be a good friend, too. Dang, you're gonna make me cry. That's so sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so obvious that it's so obvious that Hagrid would have taught Harry to be a good friend because he was really his first friend. Oh, We've talked about that. Well, we say Hedwig was his first, first friend. We've had this discussion last season, right? True, true. So I'm going to skip back to the library where Harry was being studious. And you know me and my like uh, conspiracy theories. We love them. So Madam Pence. She first she gets very mad about Harry desecrating the books, which I think is pretty funny considering we had our own little uh argument about desecrating the I, I don't normally but it felt I don't know it felt okay because I've got like 15 copies of each book but uh Madam Pence would agree with you that you should not desecrate your books but then they had the theory they were like was she really mad about that or was she mad that we were talking about Filch because the moment they said something she appeared and I was like I love that that everyone gets love you know that Filch and Madam Pence they maybe maybe they were you know a thing Mm-hmm. I feel like in the end of this book, there's the scene where Filch is in his horrible suit and Madame Pince is in a long black veil standing next to one another at Dumbledore's funeral or something like that. Like there's another indication that they have a special friendship, if not something more. I'm not, it's in the books, but I can't think of when it would be other than this book at Dumbledore's funeral. Huh. Let me, uh, while you're, well, let me just try and re- reference that real fast. Okay. Yeah. 
Yep, 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 I got it, I got it. Uh, yep, yep, uh, here we go. This is in the White Tomb, so episode one. If you are not, if you haven't listened to episode one, this is why, because we reference these episodes. So uh, the students filed out from their benches in near silence. Harry glimpsed dot, dot, dot. Madame Pince standing beside Filch, she in a thick black veil that fell to her knees, he in an ancient black suit and tie reeking of mothballs. Wow, okay. Well, there we go. Filch found love after all. Yep. They found, they at least have special friendship, the two of them. They're kind of uh, outcasts in different roles than some of the other teachers, too. So makes sense that they would become friends. They're not really teachers. They're not professors. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That only stuck in my head because a long black veil that hangs to your knees is such a distinctively different kind of veil. You know, like it's not, a, to me, it's not like a veil like doesn't hang that far normally. Right. <laughs> That's true. They are kind of oddballs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Once you, once you read that, I remembered it too, but I didn't even think about them being together. I just thought they were just mm-hmm. standing beside each other. So good, good, good catch. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's sort of alluded to in this chapter, which I think is why it sticks out in my mind as we're talking about it. Yeah. Um, I did want to point out that one of the things I made a note on in this chapter early on, I think it's after they've left the library, is how Hermione, okay, she's mad at Ron and because we know where the story went because we've read it in the correct order before. Um, she's mad at Ron because he's like snogging with lavender all over town, basically. And it's interesting to me, we talked about this in the chapter Sectum Sempra, which I cannot for the life of me find as I'm flipping through my book, how Malfoy, when he's upset, he goes to the bathroom because he has nowhere private to go to deal with his emotions. And I was thinking about Hermione too. She shares a dormitory with Lavender Brown. Her only private place is that lavender's in it like that's so i feel i feel bad for the students that they don't have a private like i don't know what kind of room i want them to have but like the bathrooms are it and that's why several times here like hermione runs to the bathroom because she's so upset and she can't even go to her own bed like she can't go cry in bed because for all she knows lavender's gonna walk in and then she's got to deal with this and she doesn't want to deal with it so wait are we sure about that because it's not like because harry only has what five people in his room yeah so it's not like how do we know for sure? Is Lavender Brown for sure the same year as them? A hundred percent. Yeah. She was sorted the same year as them. And so there's only it's whoever is in the same year. It's not just amount of people. Mm-hmm. Correct. And there's only four women whose names are sorted into Gryffindor in Harry's year. So actually they may not even have a full five. There's always been discussion of that. There's like not a clear, not a clear match. Like is it five students in every house? male and female every year because of course some students aren't it's not going to break down evenly right but in this case we know that Hermione Lavender and Pavardi are all sharing a dormitory that sucks yeah yeah that was that's what I was getting to there that that was the reaction (laughs) I was aiming for yeah (laughs) that sucks hard so Hermione's upset I mean she's upset with Ron but she, she also has to be at least a little upset with Lavender, like, even though it's, like, not personal. It's not really personal with Lavender. But then she has to share a dorm with Lavender. So I'm sure she goes in and she's got to, like, listen to Lavender talking about Juan Juan with Pavardi. And, like, she has nowhere to go. She's just why she spends all her time in the library with this chapter. Oh, brutal. Yeah, that's a good catch. Yeah. That, that would be horrible. Yeah. What else did you catch in this chapter? Sure, obviously. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I caught some perspective from Luna, obviously. So they're in class and Ron and Hermione kind of start going after each other and Ron says something incredibly mean to Hermione and Luna is walking out with Harry and she first, she almost does a compliment sandwich, which is a 
you know, trademark pending uh, Valerie's thing. Uh, <laughs> but she says, uh, that guy, he's, he's a funny guy, isn't he? He says funny things sometimes, but he can also be pretty mean. And I just found that interesting. Like, we were talking about how James and Sirius were known for being bullies. And Ron does say mean things like throughout these books, which sometimes which I think is why I'm glad we're reading it backwards, because I, I am starting to like Ron more than I ever did. But now I remember why I didn't because he can just be so mean. And you know, leave it up to Luna to kind of have that uh, perspective and just say it, you know, where people would be like, Oh, it's Harry Potter's best friend. I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about the chosen one's best friend. But Luna straight up's like, yeah, he's kind of mean, huh? Yeah, I thought about when I read that section there, the line reads, Luna was demonstrating her usual knack of speaking uncomfortable truths. And I was like, I feel like I want that to be my epitaph, like had a knack for speaking uncomfortable truths or, you know, like that's actually to me, that's like a compliment, like being someone who is confident enough and bold enough to say the truth, even when it's uncomfortable is a really powerful skill. And her, Luna just just does it. And you're right, like even in this scene, Basically, after that, Harry's like, Luna, you want to go to Slughorn's party with me? And she says, yes, I'd love to go as friends. Like he says, as friends, he like caveats, as, as friends. And she's like, I'd love to go. I've never been invited to go to a party with someone as a friend, which is heartbreaking. Okay. And then immediately when Ron, when Harry tells Ron, he goes, you could have taken anyone and you chose Looney Lovegood. And it's like, Ron, you know, Luna, you know, Luna. And then Ginny corrects him. Like, don't call her that. You know, like, yes, he, he, he demonstrates that, that funny slash unkindness right there, right away. And it's like, Harry, obviously, I think, acknowledges that that is true about Ron. And it probably does make him quite uncomfortable because it's not in his nature to be that way. Yeah, yeah, I did love that Ginny uh, corrected him. Just giving her another, you know, thing that I like to add to her attributes. Like, okay, she's also extremely kind. Mm -hmm. Obviously didn't get that from Ron. I think she just kind of got it from herself. That's mm -hmm. just like her thing, you know? Not to say her parents, maybe her dad. Her dad is pretty kind, but he's also pretty goofy. So mm -hmm. I like to say she has her own thing, which is kindness. But yes, yeah, yeah, that would be hard. Um, I think as you're growing up, you do start to realize certain things about your friends and that's what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And I think Ron also kind of learns it about himself. Like as we get older, we also gain that self-awareness because I feel like by the end of Deathly Hallows, after Ron abandons them and really has to come to terms with the ramifications of his behavior with Harry and Hermione, he does come back a changed man, a kinder man. And he is more a defender of good instead of sort of being a little jerk of a teenager. And, you know, lots of teenagers are jerks. It's just, it's part of growing up, but you got to learn that. Some people have to learn that the hard way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. What else did you find in this chapter? So I have a couple more notes. And one of them is that I now have a life dream to be the image of Professor Slughorn at this Christmas party, which is described as, I got to read it. I got to read it. Okay. <laughs> His velvet hat a little askew, a glass of meat in one hand and an enormous mince pie in the other. <laughs> is that not the ideal way to celebrate the holidays? To me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that is the best way. <laughs> uh, your hat's a little off because you've had a little bit of meat. You got a glass of it in one hand and a giant mince pie. And we love mince pies in our house. It's like one of my favorite British holiday food. So I now have to figure out how to make enormous mince pies because we make them really small. When we <laughs> well, and he's the host. I love being a host because it means you get a bunch of short, very fun, very quick conversations with people, but you get to keep moving mm -hmm. and you get all the mm -hmm. attention and you get to be drunk. Like all <laughs> this. <laughs> I agree with you. He is living the dream in this, in this chapter. <laughs> yep. 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 I've got to get a, a velvet smoking jacket. I got to get a velvet hat with a tassel, a 
like I don't know what is it's like a flagon. I need like a flagon of mead and a mince pie. And we're going to post it on Instagram in approximately six months. And you're going to see me there <laughs> chilling in my house, channeling Horace Slughorn for the holidays. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I'm feeling a theme party coming on and yeah, yep. maybe Hogwarts or Christmas yep. or something. Yeah, we might have to do it over Zoom with all of the listeners who want to join because, you know. That would be so fun. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a waste for now. But we, you know, we got to have everyone involved who wants to be at the party. This is not a slug club only thing. This is like right. open to all students. <laughs> okay, and then I had one more note. It is a, it's, it, I was originally going to comment on how when Malfoy and Snape are speaking that Malfoy's denying everything. And but then I realized less important that he's denying everything than that he's defending his mind against Snape trying to read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that not like we were speaking about in one of the recent episodes, Snape is kind of a blunt object at legitimacy. Malfoy knows he's trying to do it. He can feel him trying to attack his mind and he's learned occlumency to defend himself. And I thought that that was a really interesting thing that sort of plays into this theory I have that maybe Dumbledore is more proficient at legitimacy than Snape is, which is why it feels like being x-rayed with Dumbledore and it it feels like someone's attacking your mind with Snape. That's not to Snape, like Snape's obviously good at legitimacy because not everyone can even do this magic, but he's actually maybe not as subtle Mm -hmm. as some of the other wizards. Like Voldemort, obviously like nobody can even stop Voldemort really, except Snape, but (laughs) you know, Voldemort's really good at it. Dumbledore is really good at it. Snape's maybe not quite as good as those two. Well, right. And maybe Snape is just very good at defense and not so much as at offense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's my hypothesis is that he's really good at occlumency and he's pretty good at legilimency. Mm-hmm. And there are other wizards who are better at legilimency. Yeah. Yeah. I found it interesting that um, Bellatrix, Auntie Bellatrix was uh, teaching Malfoy mm-hmm. occlumency. So yeah, I caught that as well. And um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything else in this chapter? That was actually my last note. Not quite as good as yours. I just found it interesting that he had he had learned it against against Snape, and I had forgotten that little bit, which is to say that maybe Malfoy is also a very talented wizard, and I don't feel like that gets talked about because we just you know he's evil, right, or whatever. He's like we're more worried about his art than so much about his like magical abilities. Mm-hmm. Well, he's certainly better at occlumency than Harry. <laughs> I think we can agree for sure on that. Oh, because Harry's terrible at occlumency; he can't really do it. And, and, and Malfoy is capable of defending his mind against Snape. So, you know, got to give Malfoy credit for that. Yeah, you're right. You're so right. Harry would not like to hear that. <laughs> what I was going to say is interesting is that you just made the point I hadn't really connected is that Bellatrix is teaching Draco occlumency specifically to protect his mind against Snape, not against Voldemort. So you think that's true? Because in the book. A hundred percent. Okay. Because in the next because in the next line, so the lines the lines are, uh, Aunt Bellatrix has been teaching you occlumency, I see. What thoughts are you trying to conceal from your master, Draco? Draco responds, I'm not trying to conceal anything from him. I just don't want you butting in. So I'm guessing he went to Bellatrix and was like, I need you how to I need you to teach me how to defend my mind. Maybe by this point Draco has realized that Snape can do this. You know, we have there's all this stuff from Draco's side of the story we never see, but he's the head of house. So you get in trouble with the head of house and he reads your mind, you never get out of it. Right. True. So Draco, I think Draco has asked Bellatrix to teach him how to defend his mind against Snape specifically, because he's not trying to keep secrets from Voldemort. So he claims, and I believe him. But also a good trick to have, considering he doesn't really like Voldemort. Right, right. If he can do it as well as <laughs> Snape, yeah, it's a great thing to know how to protect your mind. Cool. 
All right. Well, that's all I have. So we can wrap it up here. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to your podcast player of choice and give us a rating, hopefully a five-star one. Add a review in there. It helps us so, so much to grow the podcast. Um, The more reviews you get, the more likely the algorithm will like us. So please, please, please do that if you would like. Uh, You can also head over to our social media. Uh, bell jar pod valerie someone who says she's never on our instagram has been killing it at the reels lately i am so frustrated i'm locked out of one of my accounts right now because i am i've got reels i have i mean i haven't got like million view reels but i have figured out my little corner of five thousand view reels i don't know what the magic is for five thousand views but everything i post right now gets five thousand views no matter what account i put it on i put one on the account recently. So if you are listening in real time, before the season started, we were doing a little bit of teaser promo. And there's a there's part of an episode that did really, really well. It's one of the quotes that's actually coming in a future chapter. So we're kind of a little bit out of order. Anyway, I would highly recommend scrolling down a little bit. Like don't just look at what's up there recently, like dig in, we got some good stuff hidden for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So Belljaw Pod on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. So we are on there and we are doing stuff. Come say hi, give us a follow, give us a share. Uh, we also have a an email if you want to send us a long email. Yep, it's an old fashioned thing called electronic mail. It's a muggle <laughs> improvement. It's better than Owl Post. I think it has better reliability than Errol the Owl. Anyway, it's podcast at followthebutterflies.com. And followthebutterflies.com is my Harry Potter blog. So there's more Harry Potter there if you want it. And then last but certainly not least, when you're in there doing all this good stuff for us, reviews, social, etc. Grab the share link from your podcast player and send this podcast, this episode, or just episode one to get someone started on the right foot to someone you know has been to one of the Wizarding Worlds, either the one in Florida, the one in California, or the one in Japan. Love that. Yes. Very good. How many have you been to, Valerie? I've been to two. I haven't been to Japan yet. But when I go to Japan, part of my trip to Japan, if I'm flying all the way to Japan, I'm going to Osaka to go to the Wizarding World, hands down. Yeah. No, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I've been to the one in Florida, but it was a long, long time ago. So there's so much more cool stuff I need to go see. Mm-hmm. That was like 2010, I think. Mm. Long time ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had like one ride then. So anyways. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Well, thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time. See ya. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project and is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.